everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. I don't think there's anything more endearing than someone who loves on your children. Isn't that true? Like, I mean, you want to befriend someone, you want to uh, uh, love someone, love their kids. And I don't mean that in a, in a manipulative way. I mean, sincerely invest in their children, you know, speak well of them and just watch parents' faces light up, right? Did you see the way Brent talked about Danita last week? Danita has been good to Brent's kids. And I can name all kinds of people in Knack who in big and in subtle ways um, have been good to my kids. So thank you. Some of the most memorable words ever spoken to me actually came from Gracie's grade two teacher. You know, teachers, you have uh, a power to bless someone. The angriest I can remember getting was from Gracie's grade five teacher. <laughs> Teachers this morning, you may not realize the power in your words to curse. Uh, throughout scripture, we, the church, are, are called the children of God, right? That's a metaphor the Bible uses to describe us as believers. And I, I wonder how God feels when people talk smack about his children, um, when his kids talk smack about his other kids, do, do they not think that that deeply grieves the heart of Jesus? You know, you'll notice that the church, the ecclesia uh, in the New Testament is always described with illustrations um, using living examples Uh, Not a building or a structure, except once when we're called living stones. Um, We're called uh, God's children. We're called uh, the body of Christ, uh, where every finger matters, every nose matters. Um, We're called the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom. Uh, He calls us a vineyard, um, a household, a family, living examples of what the church is. And yet many people who claim to be Christians adopted by God the Father have nothing to do with their brothers and sisters in Christ, the family, the church. Um, Why is it important that we one another each other well? Because this is where we get to practice loving other believers. And that is the mark of the Christian, according to Jesus. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Then Jesus reiterates the teaching, or John, sorry, reiterates Jesus' teaching. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. 
And he goes on to say, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. Here's another thing I think every parent can kind of relate to. The kind of satisfaction, the kind of joy of watching your children love each other, right? Isn't that the best? I have three teenage girls, and, and when we hear them laughing and carrying on and moving the furniture so that they can dance, and I mean, it's the greatest sound, and I'll, I'll even hold off yelling, it's one in the morning, go to bed, because that sound is so satisfying as a parent. And I wonder where we as parents um, get that intrinsic sense of satisfaction and joy. If John is correct, it may be a reflection of our Father God embedded on our souls. You know, a heavenly Father who what delights in his children. Oh, and did he mention that if you mistreat any one of my kids, then all the singing and all the offering taking in the world is not going to make up for it. Listen, I have um, an inclination not to want to over-spiritualize things, right? I don't want to be accused of uh, sensationalizing anything, but you need to know this. Satan attacks the community, okay? Satan attacks our community, and uh, he attacks the bride that we call the church. And it's actually the primary way that Satan attacks churches and their leaders. He will do all he can to stir up dissension. He'll attempt to drive staff teams apart. He'll attempt to create animosity among volunteers. Why? I think because he knows that unity is the primary witness for a lost and watching world. And he knows that the, the church politics and infighting is going to suck up all the energy and the focus that should be on the Great Commission. Did you know that the Hebrew word for Satan actually means adversary or accuser? Accuser. Folks, let's not be our church's accuser, okay? Somebody has already got that job. That position's already been taken, Okay? It's why I feel so convicted and convinced about this one anothering series. It's why I feel it's so relevant, so necessary. And, and today is a bit of an outlier because, as I've said, there are uh, 59 one anothering verses in the New Testament, as far as I can tell. So what I didn't tell you uh, about these one anothering verses is that there is a bunch of verses framed in the negative. Uh, I'll call these the do nots of one anothering. Uh, there's a bunch of one other commands to do, like do accept one another, do greet one another, do bear one another's burning, uh, burdens. I, I wanna talk this morning about the do not verses of one anothering, okay? So will you help me out? Every time I point to you, will you just say out loud, uh, one another. Okay, let me just try it. One okay, one more time. One okay, so Galatians 5.15. Stop biting and devouring. One 
uh, Galatians 5.26. Stop provoking and envying. Uh, James 4.11. Do not slander. Uh, James 5.9. Stop grumbling against. Um, Colossians 3.9. Do not lie to. Uh, Romans 14.13. Stop passing judgment on. In fact, um, as I was studying these do not one anothering, it, it, it seemed to me that most of them could be traced back to the root sin of judgment, or, or perhaps better put judgmentalism, right? Because it's a better way of putting it. Christians are actually asked to righteously judge lots of things. Like we're asked to judge the life and the character of people who we would call to be you know, elders and pastors and small group leaders and worship leaders. Um, we're asked to wisely judge our Christian brothers and sisters so that uh, when they fall into sin, we know how to restore them gently. Um, we're asked to, you know, judge the content and quality of, of cultural influences, see how they line up with our Christian ethic. So what we're really talking about here is judgmentalism, right? Which is, which is done with the wrong spirit. It's done with the wrong motivation. Jesus describes it like this. He says, like, you're judgmental if you look at somebody and you're like, hey, dude, I don't know if you noticed, but you got this um, speck in your eye. And the whole time, the guy is like uh, going, hey, buddy, uh, you look ridiculous. You have this little speck of sawdust in your eye. Meanwhile, Buddy's got a plank. Now, this, this bit would have killed in first century Palestine. Um, Jesus, like I... One thing I think is that Jesus gets a bad rap in the movies. Um, I think he had lots of great comedy bits. He's so austere and so super serious, a little stodgy in the movies. I don't think he was that way at all. Like this, this was the carrot top of the first century. He would, that, that bit would have killed, prop comedy. But in this Romans verse here, it turns out that, that some people in Rome were judging others. They were judging each other because of what they ate. Remember the same thing happened in the Corinthian church. And uh, people were going like, hey, um, you shouldn't eat that ribeye because, I don't know if you know this, it came from a pagan sacrifice cow. And like, people were going, yeah, but you know, whom the son has set free is free indeed, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Yeah, but dude, it's like, it's demon meat. It's like, yeah, well, demon meat is delicious. It turns out, you know, cow tastes like steak, right? It's, I love it. Well, you can actually kind of see both sides of the argument. They both make a fair point. But listen, neither side is worth the unity of the congregation. Paul calls these um, um, disputable matters. They're not worthy of division, uh, worthy of judgmentalism that is being demonstrated here. Now, surely this doesn't happen in 2020. Does it? No, no. no. Actually, maybe more than ever. Um, oh, you're a Democrat? Mm, how can you be a Christian? Oh, you're a Republican and you call yourself a Christ follower? Liberal, conservative, beer drinker, teetotaler. Now, the other side of judgmentalism can be found on, here in Galatians 5. It's the, it's the 
other side of the same coin, really. Some Christians weren't judging others about, you know, keeping the rules. They were actually flaunting their liberty to those who were weak in the faith. Oh, you're struggling with that, bro? Oh, precious. Not me. I'm, uh, I'm free in Christ. But, you know, you do you. Um, it's provoking the weak in flesh. It's the other side of judgmentalism. And then envy happens. And that's what happens when the weak might start to feel this towards the strong. You know, they've been provoked into envy. Oh, you feel tempted to drink too much? Oh, you poor deal. Well, everything in, in moderation, glug, 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 you know? Just flaunting their liberty in front of others. Oh, you don't speak in tongues? You gotta just open your mouth and let it come out, you know? Maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe, maybe you're not mature enough. Stop provoking others to envy. It's wrong. Stop it. Because envy tells us to look at others, look at their free time, their paycheck, their successes, their lover. And envy says, uh, the life I have is just kind of subpar. And maybe that sounds petty, but it's actually lethal. Envy has this deadly ability to distract our heart and our mind from the, from the daily bread that God gives us, that, that he puts into our hands every morning. You know, our Catholic brothers and sisters call envy a deadly sin, uh, perhaps because it inspires us to say to God, the life you gave me um, just isn't good enough. And then James 4 says, do not slander. Yeah. And against, uh, again, sorry, he, he connects slander to judgmentalism. Like this is serious business. Paul in Romans 1, uh, 1.30 says that a slanderer is depraved and without excuse. And he includes it in the same sins as haters of God, um, inventors of evil. Ouch, ouch. The Greek word here for slander refers to a, a mindless, thoughtless, careless, critical, derogatory speech directed at others. And it's especially grievous as we do it to one another. You know, the family, the body of Christ. Slander is, is speaking evil of someone with the addition of lies, right? And it, it may be partially true, but it's not all true. It's where we get the word blaspheme from. If you've been slandered, and I know of people in our church who have, you know how painful it is. I, I've been slandered against. It hurts. I can remember times where my family, my dad, being slandered by so-called Christians. It hurts. And maybe some of you today are even living with a, a, a painful wound in your spirit caused by slander. And my prayer would be today that in the words of Solomon, um, an undeserved curse would not come to rest because uh, you need to hear the voice of the Father instead, whispering truth about your identity instead of the voice of the accuser. And that's what that is. Now, it's interesting to me that most of these, these sins, these do not 
one anothering um, are kind of a fallout from the first sin of not addressing offense in a biblical way. And, and having these difficult conversations is really, really hard. But, but look at it this way. The Latin term I found out this week for confrontation, do you know what that means? It means to turn your face forward, to look at frontally. That's what confront means, confrontation. So in that sense, you know what you're doing? Confrontation merely indicates that you are turning towards the relationship. You're turning towards that person in love and maybe having a difficult conversation but it's for the, the relationship. Jesus actually lays out a template in Matthew 18, and we don't have time to totally unpack that today, but we should soon because it's basically a model wherein you only talk to the person who has sinned against you, and if that can't be resolved, you start to kind of incrementally widen the circle of wise people involved in the issue. But we tend to do the opposite, right? We, we talk to everyone except the one person that we're supposed to talk to. What is that called? Gossip. Gossip. Gossip is when you talk to someone about somebody else when they are not part of the problem or the solution. Let me say that again. Gossip is when you talk to someone about someone else when the person you're talking to is not part of the problem or the solution, and uh, the content of what is being discussed is not something that actually should be uh, talked about to anyone else. But, but we do it, and we do it behind their backs out of a desire, uh, maybe unconscious, to puff ourselves up, or maybe with the unconscious desire to hurt them a little bit. You know, Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Oof, oof, that's sobering, right? So ask yourself, how many careless words have I made in passing about somebody else? Oh, and by the way, do you think Twitter counts? Do you think Facebook counts, Insta, YouTube? Yeah, yeah, more on that later. You know, the tongue can literally bless one another, as Elizabeth shared a few weeks ago about encouragement. It can um, be, the tongue can be a blessing through prayer for one another, as Chris shared uh, uh, last week. Or it can literally curse one another. Stop doing it for a humorous quip. Stop doing it to find acceptance in the crowd. Uh, stop gossiping to affirm someone else's discontent, okay? Stop doing it and pretending it's a thing called a prayer chain, okay? If we're talking to or about someone and it's, it's not about their good or for their good, what is our motive? Folks, it's a church killer, okay? Oh, come on. Just a little hot goss now and then? What's, what's the damage? There's a story that has been adapted throughout the years. I, th I think it's true. It's hard to find the source. But there was a woman who was spreading uh, malicious gossip about a priest in town. And uh, 
she finally came to her senses and asked uh, this priest for forgiveness, which he, which he granted to her gracefully. And she asked how she could make amends, how she could uh, make things right, make restitution for her sin. And she said she'd be willing to do anything. And he said, the priest said, okay, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to climb up uh, the water tower in town and, and go to the top. And I want you to bring a pillow with you. And then will you cut open uh, that pillow and then just like let the, let the feathers go where they may. Out into all the town. I needed a bigger fan, I think, is the lesson here. <laughs> Strange penance, right? And uh, the woman obediently does her task and goes back to the priest, and she's pleased with what she's done. And, and she says, okay, now what? The priest says, now go and gather every one of those feathers. And she's confused, but then the, it starts to sink in. It starts to dawn on her. Even though she may be sincerely remorseful, it's um, impossible now to really repair the damage done by her words as it would be to recover every one of those feathers, the lives that were impacted as someone told someone else and someone told another. And in the past 24 hours, have you gossiped about somebody? Have you spoken evil about a brother or sister? Have you talked about someone to someone who is not part of the problem or part of the solution? You know what? You can repent of that and God will forgive you. But I'll say this, true repentance means not just showing remorse, but endeavoring not to do it again. And then James 5 talks about uh, do not grumble towards, let's try that again. Do not grumble towards, uh, murmur, complain, uh, grudge, beef, different words, same translation. They're finding fault, they're blame shifting. It's in that category of judgmentalism again. You know, uh, we tell half the story sometimes, not the whole story. And I don't know about you, I think we're all kind of prone to this. I, I'm, I'm certainly prone. If it makes me look bad, uh, we tend to omit certain facts conveniently, right? It, I even watch the kind of voice that people use when they're, when they're telling a story involving another person. It's kind of a dead giveaway. Like, I was just like, would you mind if I cut the line while you look for your item? And she was like, I'll just be a second. Could you just be patient? And then the other side of the story is like, when she tells the story at home, uh, she's like, he was like, would you mind if I cut the line for a second while you look for your item? And all I was like, I'll just be a second. Could you just be patient? You know, the, the voice switches depending on who's telling the story. Watch that. That's a dead giveaway. No one can make you respond in a sinful way, by the way. No one can do that. Remove the plank from your eye before you start going after someone's bit of sawdust. That's judgmentalism. 
And of course, all of these circle around the orbit of lying. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to Proverbs 6 says that there are six things the Lord hates, seven things that are an abomination to him, a lying tongue. An abomination? Yeah, it means detestable. Um, Wait, are you saying you're putting my little white lies beside hands that shed innocent blood? My lies are a victimless crime. You know, last year in, in Kansas... You may have heard this story. A police officer went to McDonald's and uh, he got his coffee to go. And on the side of it was written PIG, a real derogatory slur for law enforcement. And that story goes viral because he posted on social. Well, they checked the security tapes and it turns out the officer wrote it himself. He called it a joke. It was a lie. And you better believe that that lie has consequences. Consequences like, to this day, um, not everyone who was originally outraged by that post knows the truth. Um, And because things like that actually do happen, it starts to discredit the real events. Um, It starts to discredit the police service in general in what is a very volatile time for police. They get painted with the same brush. You, you think when famous pastors get caught in a lie, it doesn't affect me and the reputation of the church? You think when Christians are caught lying and extorting, it doesn't affect you and the reputation of all Christians? It does. It sullies the reputation of the gospel, of Jesus himself. So believers who are filled with the Spirit of God, who have been saved, forgiven, baptized, washed clean, it should be so unnatural for us to lie. You know, the devil is described as the father of lies. And Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of truth. So look, when when we say God is love, It does not mean that um, God is loving or has characteristics of love. It means that God is love incarnate. God is the definition of love. There is no love apart from God. He is the embodiment of love. You, You see the difference? So God is not just truthful or a truth teller. He is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life. The word became flesh, and that's Jesus, full of grace and truth. Ephesians 4.21 says that the truth is in Jesus. So this is not a matter of doing something contrary, you know, something on the list of Jesus' pet peeves. This is doing something Contrary to the very nature of Jesus, who is truth. Contrary to the very character of the type of person that we are trying to become in Christ. And since the spirit of Christ is in us believers, it would be oxymoronic for us to have a habit of lying, right? If you asked 
divorcees where things went south, I bet most would say one or both had a habit of lying. Lying destroys families. I know a lot of parents who actually wisely say to their kids, look, we can work anything out, okay? No bad behavior is going to ruin our relationship. Just don't lie to me about it. That does ruin relationships. And parents, I encourage you to actually affirm your kids when they come clean on things. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for not lying. Nothing you do will ever be as bad as lying about it. Now go to your room. <laughs> but you know what I mean? The, the, affirm the truth-telling in your parents, in, in your children. Because the lie is insidious. You know what the lie does? It puts a, puts a bright flashing sign on you that says, unsafe. Um, and, and not to put too fine a point on it, but it is the very nature and character and primary tool of Satan. And so when we lie, we are more aligning ourselves with Satan than we are aligning ourselves with Christ. We're going to wrap up here. Can I tell you why these do not one another's are more important than ever, more relevant in 2020? And this, this season that we find ourselves in called COVID, this pandemic has separated us from each other in so many, so many ways. And uh, more of our lives are moving online, right? Um, our, our personal contact, our eye-to-eye contact becomes less frequent. And you know what happens? You and I get bolder and ruder online. It's just true. It's been, it's been affirmed and confirmed by social scientists. Um, here's what happens when we get separated from each other. In normal conditions, but especially in the midst of a crisis, physical distance between people desensitizes people, right? Think of how you behave sometimes in your car. Uh, maybe you're a little more aggressive than you would be naturally. Maybe you're the one who gets cut off or tailgated, and your response can be uncharacteristically angry, you know, honking your horn, uh, uh, certain fingers raised that do not mean Jesus is number one, all right? Um, stuff that you would not do if that person were right in front of you, but you behave differently in a car. Why? Because you're ensconced in 3,000 pounds of steel and rubber, chrome and, chrome and, and glass, and, and you don't see the driver as a person. You see them as an idiot. You see them as a problem. And so you get way more aggressive than if they were standing right in front of you. Well, you know, that same dynamic is so uh, at work in our digital life, on social media, um, which has gone up exponentially during this time, hasn't it? We have less eyeball-to-eyeball interactions with other humans in the same room. And so we write things and say things we would never say if we were able to look them in the eyes and see their humanity, see the, the imago Dei, that they are created in the very image and likeness of God, the one who created them. You know, nobody wins when that happens. Everybody loses. Satan dances and Jesus weeps. And it, 
I don't know if you know these stats, but it takes the cooperation of 72 different muscles to produce speech. And on average, uh, 16,000 words come out of our mouth every day. Some of you, I'm not going to name names, but a lot more than that. And that adds up to a whopping 860 million words in the average lifetime. So what do all those nouns, verbs, adjectives, sentences say about your life? Um, What does it say about the condition of your heart? The psalmist, um, he understood the power of words. And he prayed this. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. I wonder if you would pray that with me. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Will you pray that with me one more time? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. May that be our prayer as we one another each other well. I want us to move into communion. And and one of the pictures of communion in the Bible, along with the sacrifice, along with us remembering, one of the pictures is of a big open table, a family table. You know, it's sometimes called the Lord's table. And, And for all who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we've been adopted into this family. And we're invited into this family table. And before you sit down at the family table with a good, good father at the head of it, you really should be in right relationship with your brothers and your sisters. Bible says, you know, if you know that somebody has something against you, you should go and track them down and and get things right. Maybe you need to apologize. And then it says elsewhere that if you in the process of examining your heart, realize that you have something against a brother or sister, well, guess what? You go again, and you find them, and you make things right. Well, here's the common denominator. Whether someone has an offense against you or whether you have an offense against someone else, the onus is on you to go and attempt to make things right. That is the heart of Christ, the one who pursues. So whether um, you're at home today, I'd invite you to uh, grab an element of bread and and juice. Um, We're not going to take communion together. What I instead is that you would just sit and honestly reflect on your relationships. Ask, Ask God whether there's someone in your life that maybe you need to get right with, a brother or a sister. Uh, Resolve today to, to make it right. You know, Jesus says, how can you be right with me? How can you be in good relationship with me if you're not in good relationship with my children?